15. Man, I've been, been super excited about sharing the message today. And we do want to pray for one another. You probably look around and see maybe a person or two that, that maybe you normally get to visit with at church or uh, maybe you've seen, maybe you haven't got to know them. But, man, encourage one another. Again, there are a lot of people sick right now. So it's hard to just quantify all of them. But uh, let's be praying for them. Also, we want to pray for a, a lady named Mrs. Cisco who uh, is a friend of, um, oh, my goodness, uh, I'm, I shouldn't have even started uh, names because I'm, I'm out. Now, Terry Hanson, I'm sorry, Terry. And uh, she was going to be a guest here at church today, and her son uh, was killed in an automobile accident, and she had to go uh, be with her family. I said, I, I want to pray for them. They haven't come yet, but they're welcome here, and we want to encourage them in the Lord. I'll be praying for Greg Combs, too, who's had some uh, health issues and uh, so on and so forth. In fact, I'm just going to stop and have a word of prayer. i got some things I want to talk to you about before we get to the message today. But uh, I, I haven't preached for a while. I didn't get to preach at the conference, and I didn't get to preach last Sunday. So I'm revved up, guys. You're just going to have to give me a minute. But let's go ahead. Seriously, let's pray right now if we could. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, the opportunity to gather and worship. We thank you that uh, where we are gathered in your name, you're in the midst, singing your praises, hearing your word. I know there's so many families sick today and for all kinds of various reasons. Would you help them to recover quickly, be with Greg, be with Yarbrough, the Craddocks, the Johnsons, many others that I, I'm sure I, there are just so many that it's even hard to name. Lord, raise them up, Lord. Help them to feel better and help them to be back quickly. And then I pray for Mrs. Cisco and the loss of her son. Lord, when she comes back, I pray she'll be welcome here at River City. And would you be her help and her grief, and would you minister to her in a way that only you can. Be with Greg as he recovers from his illness. Bless us as we open your word in a moment in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I want to take a few minutes, and, and I, don't, I don't do this often, but I feel like there's some things coming up that I really want to emphasize. Uh, a couple are just kind of some events that are coming, but also there's a couple of schedule changes that I want you to be aware of. And so, I want to take a minute, first of all, and tell you some things that are coming in the month of March that are very, very important, okay? And it's all happening the same weekend. Uh, we call the weekend River City Goes Global. It's our missions emphasis weekend. And we believe that the mission of our church is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, both here in Jacksonville and around the world. And once a year, we come together and have some special emphasis and services related to that theme. We also take up commitments each year to give above and beyond our tithes and offerings to worldwide missions. And we do it once a year. We usually come back to the end of this uh, year, and some people maybe have moved on. We've had people that have been sent to be pastors, and we just regroup once a year on a missions emphasis. This year, uh, we're excited to have uh, Pastor Jody Jenkins coming down to be with us again that weekend. He's a phenomenal preacher. He'll be sharing with us on Sunday night. I'll be preaching uh, a missions-related message on Sunday morning. I want you to start praying right now about what God would have you to do. Every year we do this, and I think it's important. I never want to stop doing this. I'm going to share with you some things that I want to do long-term with our general budget. I'd like to send more money away from here than that we spend here. Because I think the more we give to worldwide missions, the gospel, Haiti, hungry people, and just, just serve the Lord that way, we're going to be blessed by doing that. But most importantly, we're here to give the gospel. We're here to preach the gospel, and we're going to share with you how we do that and how we're going to do it better and more. 
The Friday night before that, on Friday, um, uh, March the 25th, we're having a night called the Night of Hope. And uh, Jody Jenkins, who's our speaker, is a, is a pastor who went through a serious, dark depression and almost took his own life. And he has one of the most remarkable recovery stories you will ever hear. And that night he's going to share his testimony. If you have experienced loss, if you have experienced grief, if you have experienced mental health issues and anything related to crisis or COVID, um, I want to encourage you to come and also invite somebody with you that you know who's gone through stuff like this. How many of you would say you know at least one person that's gone through something that I just mentioned, okay? That's all of us. Many of us in this room, it's a night that will encourage their faith and draw them to Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you to really focus on being there. There's a sign-up for this. We really need to know uh, how many people are going to be here so we can appropriately uh, take care of the meal. Then, in April, we're going through a schedule change, okay? I love to change things up, okay? If you haven't noticed that yet, I love it. I just, I don't want y'all to get too comfortable, okay, with what we're doing. And uh, you can get too static and comfortable, and then it just gets all kind of stale. So we're not, we don't do that here, okay? So we're going we're gonna to switch things up. How many of you realize that the single greatest opportunity a church has to reach people is on Sunday? should be pretty obvious to you. Um, especially with COVID, um, with the way that... The way it's changed everything, the way it's changed how people shop, the things that people do. Have you been to a store lately and seen how barren shelves are, how hard it is to get stuff, how high the cost of food is? People just don't go out, okay? So, but people do come predominantly to church on Sunday morning. And whereas before, my goal was to have a Wednesday night program where children and teens and adults could come and have like Sunday school type atmosphere, we're going to flip that back to Sunday. And so starting on April the 3rd, we're going to have Sunday school again at River City uh, Baptist Church. We're going to call it Connect Groups. Connect Groups are basically an opportunity for children of all ages, all the way down the nursery, all the way up to fifth grade, our teenagers, all the way up to 12th grade, and then adults will have an opportunity to come together to study the Bible and to fellowship together in a smaller atmosphere. The larger your church gets, the harder it is to maintain a family feel. And so Sunday school or connect groups is a good way to do that. So this, I want to be clear, all kids, all nurseries, all teens will have a class. And therefore, all adults have the opportunity to plug in to one of the new classes that we're starting on April 3rd. So let me walk through these real quick with you, okay? Uh, a new adult class for the 3rd is going to be, give me the next slide if you will. Uh, is going to be True North, okay? True North is a class for 20 to 30-year-old couples. This is specifically designed to help young couples journey through life in the right direction. And so if you are newly married or you're raising little kids and you're about to lose your mind, okay, um, then this is a great fellowship. We have a lot of young couples in the church, and this class will meet at 9.30 on Sunday mornings. Again, child care included. True North. And then the second one that we're starting is called um, Ground Zero. And Ground Zero is going to be for more middle-age adults and anyone who doesn't fit in anywhere else. This is not a couples class, but it's designed for people to study the Bible. We call it Ground Zero because we're always going to be in this class studying a book of the Bible verse by verse. Starting on, on uh, April 3rd, they'll be going through the book of Romans verse 
by verse. It's going to be an awesome study, and so you may want to find yourself in that class. And then the final class is called the Summit, and the Summit is our senior adults Bible study, and that is for ages uh, whatever. Uh, it's uh, whatever y'all de- whatever y'all decide it is. I don't know because uh, I know you get in there and you're like, I'm not really old. We get it, but some of y'all just just admit it, okay? <laughs> just admit it. You need to be in there. And uh, this is a great Bible study for our senior adults, and all these will be happening at 9.30 on Sunday morning. Child care, children's classes. So basically, everything we're doing on Wednesday night is getting flipped to Sunday morning at 9.30. So think of it like that. We have more opportunity to reach more people, connect with more people that way. Then Wednesday night is going to become our discipleship night. And discipleship is more intensely focused, smaller groups where you can either go one-on-one to get some discipleship from a person. Also, we have two group studies that begin on April the 6th. One is Discipleship 301, and that is a study of Old and New Testament survey. I used to do this on Sunday morning. I will continue that now on Wednesday nights at 6.30, and that will be in the youth center. And then there will be another class offered. It's Discipleship 101, and that is Spiritual Disciplines. And our goal for this first class, Cliff Davis is teaching it, is as many people as want to go through that as they can, that is also our curriculum for one-on-one discipleship. So for somebody new to the church and trying to make a connection, they're trying to learn some things about the Bible and the Christian life, you can have an opportunity to sit down one-on-one with somebody and walk them through basic spiritual disciplines. But what we're going to do first is everybody's going to have a chance to go through the class yourself so that you can learn the curriculum and learn about it yourself. So Cliff Davis is going to be teaching that. It's a great class. It's one of my favorite studies on spiritual disciplines, and I hope you will join us for all these. If you have any questions, you can see myself. You can see Pastor Aaron. Uh, After the service today, all of these events and classes are available on the church or the website for you to sign up for, okay? And for all of you older folks that don't understand Church Center app, I'll just be right here after the service to answer all your questions, okay? It's going to be great. We'll look forward to seeing you there. So get prepared for April 3rd. All right, Matthew chapter 15. We're going to be reading verses 21 through 28. Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold... A woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. How many of y'all could say amen right there? No, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Okay. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away. She cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord. Yet, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Amen. This is God's word. I want to label the message this morning, 
just give me the crumbs. Just give me the crumbs. Have you ever met someone who was actually hungry? I'm not talking about your 13-year-old kid coming home from school invading your pantry because they're starving, although they've had 15 snacks and lunch during the school day. I'm talking about somebody who's really hungry. I've seen them scattered on the dumps in El Salvador, literally in the middle of the city, climbing through trash bags with their children, trying to get a meal because they, in fact, are starving. In Haiti, we feed 100 children a day, twice a day. They eat spaghetti noodles and ketchup. And that's it. Most of them are genuinely hungry. It's amazing that hunger really affects our country whether we know it or see it or admit it or not. In fact, according to the United States Food and Drug Administration, more than 38 million people, including 12 million children, are what they call food insecure. Food insecurity is defined as a lack of consistent access to enough food for every person in their household to live an active, healthy life. We all know that COVID-19 has increased food insecurity among families with children, particularly uh, communities of color and rural communities in the United States where people have been hit especially hard with food insecurities. Many households that experience uh, food insecurity do not qualify for certain federal aid programs and uh, local food banks and food programs are burdened down with the extra needs and cares of so many people that will go to bed tonight starving to death. And then when you expand it to the globe, it's far worse. And malnutrition and death by starvation is a very serious global issue. In our text today, we find a woman who is starving. But she's not starving for physical food. She is starving for a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. She's desperate for Jesus. She has learned, as we see in Mark chapter number 7, that Jesus has already been through uh, some of these cities and nations early on. In his ministry, he made a pass through this area that she was from, or at least acquainted with. And in Mark 7, it tells us Jesus went through many cities and villages, and his fame began to spread. She heard of Christ. She knew what he could do. She no doubt had heard about another woman outside of Israel who was dying to just get close enough to him to touch the hem of his garment. She knew that there was enough power in the hem of the garment of the Lord Jesus Christ to heal the 12-year blood infirmity that she had. She no doubt heard in the same story, in the same area, that literally Jesus had enough power in the sound of his voice to break every chain that the maniac of Gadara had. And now she expresses her belief in Jesus and what he can do so strongly that when Jesus tells her that she had no deserved place at his table. She responds and says, I get it. I know I don't deserve to be here, but 
Even little dogs can eat crumbs that fall off the table of the master. By saying, I'll just take the crumbs. She, I believe there is enough power and sufficiency in even the bread crumbs of Jesus to meet every need that anybody has. And I say to you, there is enough power in the bread crumbs of Jesus to meet the needs of every single person here today. This statement is a statement of faith. It is saying, I believe you. I know you can. I know that you are able. Just let me have what I need. Here's a great lesson, as in many other places in the Bible, of faith. And faith is a central uh, theme in Scripture. It's how we relate to God. It's how we have a relationship with God. It's how we approach God in prayer. Faith literally is everything. In fact, we are called, are we not, people of faith. And as we look at this Syrophoenician woman, we learn what the Bible teaches us about faith condensed into the life of a desperate woman. Number one, I want you to see that faith approaches boldly. Faith approaches boldly. Here is Jesus himself approaching an unlikely place. Look, if you will, at verse number 21. Then Jesus went out from there, that's Galilee, and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He left where he was, and now he's approaching this really new place. It's not a place we see often in Scripture. This Tyre and Sidon region is on the Mediterranean coast. It's an ancient city, today known as Lebanon. But in those days, the chief city was the city of Phoenicia. Although they are still thriving cities today as they were back then, they were virtually unknown in the Bible days except for this story that we read uh, in the account of Jesus in Matthew chapter 15. We know that Tyre and Sidon historically in the Old Testament was a place of evil and idolatry and wickedness. A place that Jews, of course, would have avoided much like they avoided Samaria. But how many of you are glad to know today that what many people avoid, what many people try to run from, Jesus is willing to run right to? The truth is, Jesus was not frightened or scared by this city. He was not uh, alienated from this city or separate from this city because he wasn't like this city. Jesus goes specifically to this city to minister to people who needed him, including this Canaanite or Syrophoenician woman. So, Jesus comes to an unlikely place, and there he is approached by an unlikely person. The Bible says at the end, or beginning in verse number 22, And behold, a woman of Cana came from the region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord. Interestingly enough, Mark in Mark chapter 7 verse 24 adds this additional note. Not only was she a Canaanite, and not only was she in the region of Tyre and Sidon, but Mark notes two additional things. She was a Greek woman by culture and a Syrophoenician woman by birth. I like how one man put this together. Now think about this. Here is a woman who was Greek by race, Phoenician by country, and Canaanite by culture. Now folks, when you put those three things together, that is not a highlight reel of morality and all things decent. This is a woman that was out of Israel. This is a woman who was a part, I mean just think of the word for just a minute, Canaan. Now we think of the land of Canaan, we call it the promised land, but remember what happens when Israel enters into the promised land in the book of Joshua. 
The first matter of business was for them to remove the Canaanite people as to not intermix with them as it relates to marriage and ideology and religion. What I love in this story is that this story is positioned directly after the story we looked at about Jesus addressing the Pharisees and their hard heart. The Pharisees, the Jews, had direct access to Jesus. They had all of Jesus that they wanted, but they pushed him away. The Canaanites, the Syrophoenicians, the Greeks had limited access to Jesus, but they wanted him. They were begging for him. They were asking for him to come. And it shows me here that this woman had the faith to approach Jesus Christ, even though the fact is the Pharisees wouldn't want her, Israel wouldn't want her, but I am glad that when nobody else wants me, that's exactly what Jesus wants. Isn't it amazing how we look at the Bible and we see Jesus taking so many unlikely people from so many unlikely places and richly blessing their lives? This is not a unique story to the Bible. Think about the Old Testament and think about the Gentiles that were swept into and welcomed into the family of God. Think of Ruth as an example, who was a Moabite woman. Her mother-in-law was a Jewish woman. And how God richly blessed Ruth by bringing her out of that culture bringing her back into faith in Christ Jesus and how Ruth becomes an amazing story of the transforming power of Christ. She was a Gentile, but God loved her and brought her into his family. I think about Caleb, the the famous Caleb, Joshua's sidekick. You know what Caleb's name means in Hebrew in the Bible? It means dog. Uh, In fact, the reference to Caleb in the Old Testament was that he was likely a stray proselyte dog Picked up by Israel. And what did he become? He became one of the most prominent and faithful men in Israel. He was a Canaanite that got picked up like a stray dog and brought into the family of God. Oh, I think of that woman that used to live in the city walls of Jericho over... Y'all ain't even hearing me today. I'm talking about in Joshua chapter 2. Her name was Rahab. Remember her? She was a prostitute from Canaan. And what happened? She put her faith in God and she was brought into the family... And this is just what God does. Unless you think this is such a foreign story, so out of touch with you. I wonder what rock you came crawling out of. I wonder what side of the tracks you were living on. I wonder where you came from and what was going on in your life when God found you in an unlikely place and you were an unlikely person and Jesus still saved you. Aren't you glad for that? She was an unlikely person from an unlikely place, yet... She had an enormous problem. Her problem is described at the end of verse number 22. She, in short, needed Jesus. And the Bible says here, look at this. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Boy, I love the faith of this woman. She came boldly to Christ. In fact, she she comes so often that it becomes a threat to the disciples and an imposition upon their mission there, at least in their mind. She came expectantly because she says there, she says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. You know what, folks? Your faith will be increased when you realize two things. You realize his exalted position. He is the Son of God. And you realize his humble extension. Have mercy on me. How many of you are glad to know today that yes, he is the great God of the universe. Yes, he is the great God of eternity. Yes, he is the magnificent son of the living God. Yet, 
He is willing to relate to you, and the way that he relates to you is on the basis of mercy. If there were no such thing as mercy, we had no chance with God. But mercy is God withholding from us something that we deserve. And I think when this woman says, have mercy on me, she understands all that. She knows who Jesus is. She knows that she is not worthy to even be in his presence. But she says, please, have mercy upon me. Listen very carefully. Sometimes in our lives, very thing, listen, it is the very thing that we think keeps us at a distance from Christ, that keeps us from coming to Christ, watch it, that is the very thing that attracts Christ to you. What is it in your life today that makes you feel unworthy of coming to him? What makes you feel like I'm just not in a position to ask him for anything? Is it your sinful past? Is it your limited understanding? Is it your cultural background? What does this woman teach us today? This woman teaches us that there is no background, there is no culture, there are no limits to what God can do when we just come boldly to him because it's all about who he is, not necessarily about who we are and how far we fall short of who he is. Number one, faith approaches boldly. Number two, faith persists humbly. Faith persists humbly. The bottom line is this, faith doesn't quit. Faith doesn't find an exit ramp on the highway of the Christian life. This woman shows us that when you have faith, There are times when your faith will be tested. There are times when there will be moments of silence. There are times when you're wondering where God is, if he is near. And yet, she just kept coming to the Lord. In fact, look at the first thing that happens, if you will, in verse number 23. So she begs him in verse 22. But look at verse 23. He answered her not a word. He just didn't even acknowledge that she even spoke to him. She just asked him to help her, and frankly, listen, he ignored her. Now, before you get too picky about what I just said, we know the end of the story. We know that he was listening. We know that he's going to answer her. But there was something that was going on here that Jesus was doing to uh, initiate faith in her. Has it ever occurred to you that the times when you do not have the answers to prayer that you think you need, that that your needs are not being met the way that you feel like they should be met? Has it ever occurred to you that yes, you know God hears, and yes, you know that God is able, but it might just be that in his silence, he's trying to get you to still believe who he is. And when your circumstances scream he is not there, what you know to be true about him tells you in fact that he is. If you've been a Christian for more than five seconds, listen very carefully, you have been through moments of silence. If you have been walking with God for any length of time, you know there's been times in your life where you prayed, you needed, you wanted, you were begging, you were hurting, you were broken, and you were asking, and God did not seem to be listening. 
And I want you to know that he's always up to something. He's always working on something. He's always hearing what's going on. In fact, even when you are at a place where you cannot pray and you do not know where to go, aren't you glad that Jesus comes in as an interceder and meets you when you don't even know how to formulate the words in your broken prayers? Jesus, always there. Always listen, but listen, his silence didn't stop her from asking. In fact, look at the next verse. Excuse me, look at the end of verse 23. And his disciples came and urged him saying, send, <coughs> excuse me, send her away for she cries out after us. Over in Mark's gospel again, chapter number 7, the Bible says that it doesn't tell us here in Matthew, but in Mark's gospel, Jesus is actually inside a house at this point. So this woman evidently has come crying out after Christ. She doesn't get what she wants, and now she's entered into the house, begging him, and now the disciples feel like this woman's interrupting Jesus. This woman is stopping what we're trying to do. In fact, look at what they say. Send her away, for she cries out after us. Hey, listen, the disciples didn't get it. They thought that Jesus wanted her to be sent away. But I'm here to tell you, friend, that is never the position of Jesus in your life. It is never his position to just send you away. And we need to learn something about the patience of prayer. We need to learn something about waiting and being faithful and enduring. So this woman doesn't get an answer from Jesus, but she keeps on asking. But then look at this. This is amazing. Jesus declines to help her. When Jesus finally does speak, look at what he says in verse number 25, she, or verse 24. He answered now and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now let me stop here and tell you, you obviously already, as I mentioned, know the end of the story. How many of y'all know he's going to help her, right? He does help her. But before he does, he says something to her that explains why he was delaying and why he was putting her in this situation. He wanted to remind her that my primary mission, at least at this point, now you got to remember, in Mark's gospel, we're only in chapter number 7. Mark moves much faster than Matthew does. Now in Mark's gospel there, you, if you read it, you'll see that Jesus has, the, there's almost this secrecy about what Jesus is doing. This is where you'll read all the stories where Jesus heals somebody and then he tells them, don't go tell anybody. You know what I'm talking about? And it's like, well, why did he do that? Well, what's happening in the bigger story is Jesus is gradually unveiling who he actually was. And you know why? Because when he actually just came right out and said it and did it, guess what? They killed him. So what's Jesus doing in his, throughout his life? Proving who he was, demonstrating who he was, and then now as we cross really in this middle part of his life, what's happening? He is now proclaiming it boldly and everybody's getting it. And it doesn't take long now for the Jews to start attacking him, ultimately to take him to the cross. So it's safe to say when Jesus says, my mission is to the lost house of Israel, that's exactly, there was no disrespect there. He simply was saying to her, my primary reason for coming, at least at this point in the story, was predominantly for Israel. Now we know, again, through other sections of scripture, he's already ministered to Gentiles. He was not saying to her not going to help you he was just reminding her of where he was on his mission but it didn't stop this woman 
You think she cared about Jewish history and Jewish theology? You think she cared about what it all meant and what it all looked like? Oh, no, no, no. She comes back with a brilliant answer. I didn't come for the, uh, for the Gentile yet. I came to rescue the house of Israel. And she comes back and says one of the most brilliant things that has ever been spoken in the Bible. She comes back and says, yeah, I understand what you're saying. But even the dogs feed off the crumbs that fall off the master's table. Now, in this analogy, in this analogy, Jesus is the master. Israel is sitting at the table with him. And the little dog is her. Representative of God's primary way that he worked whenever he came to this earth. Was Jesus from Israel, yes or no? Of course he was. Was, it, was Jesus Jewish? Of course he was. Was he the Messiah of Israel? Of course he was. But when you read in the Psalms and in the prophets, there was also this message that God was going to rescue the Gentiles. Never forget this. The Gentiles were not an afterthought to God. He always was going to send the message to the Gentiles. It was the Jews that didn't get that, not the Gentiles. And here you see in dramatic fashion this woman say to Jesus, listen. Essentially, I know I don't deserve this, and I know I'm not from Israel. But I believe if I'm just close enough to the table, even a bread scrap's going to fall off the table. And if I can just get that, I'm good. So this woman humbly persists, and then after she says this, finally, her faith is rewarded richly. What happens when she makes this statement? Look at verse number 28. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. You know, the Bible tells us here that this woman's persistent and humble faith produced the reward of an answer from Christ that met her every need. Jesus acknowledges her great faith. And church, I want to tell you, faith still matters to God. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And this is not the only place in the Bible that talks about rewards. And I'm not talking about rewards when you get to heaven. I'm talking about rewards right here and right now. Faith rewards. Matthew 6.1. Jesus says, why don't you go to your closet and pray because those that pray in secret, my heavenly father will do what? Reward openly. You say, ah, I'm not in it for rewards. Well, you friend, you go help yourself. You can be pious if you want to. You can act more spiritual than Jesus, who said, if you seek me and keep seeking me in private, I will reward you openly. It is a blessed life to live by faith. It is a blessed life to live in prayer. And Jesus just acknowledges to her, you have great faith and I am going to show you how great I am right now. Not only does he acknowledge her great faith, he answers her prayer by doing what? At the end of the verse, her daughter was healed from that very hour. I love this. When you get to Mark verse 30, the same story, the Bible says she got home and get this. Her daughter was no longer demon-possessed, and, I love this little ad, she was resting. She was resting. Faith brought her to rest. 
You want to know what's sad right now in this culture, in this climate that we're living? There's a lot of people that don't have any rest. There's a lot of people sitting right here in this church today. You are literally shaken up by everything that's happened over the last few years. And not only that, all the other things that have happened in your life, unrelated. You have no rest. You have no peace. You have no joy. Only 18% of people, as we learned last week, are happy. Well, I got to tell you, friend, there is joy in Jesus Christ. There is peace in his name. Come on. There is rest for the weary. Jesus says, come unto me, all you that labor to heaven. I will give you rest. It's about time to lay down that burden at Jesus' feet and take up his rest by faith. That's what this woman did. Jesus rewarded her with rest. Man, you read her in the first few verses of this story, she's panicked. You read the end of the story and she's at rest. This week, I get an email every day. It's called This Day in History. If you don't get it, you should get it. It's cool. It's cool. Uh, you might start seeing some of my sermon illustrations, though, so I should probably uh, not have told you that. But I read on February 19th, 1847, I believe it was, during the gold rush, <clears throat> a group of about 89 people left from Springfield, Illinois to go to California. They were called the Donner Party. And they got to a certain place in Wyoming, and everything was fine. It was July, and they had heard from some of the previous travelers that there was a cutoff point somewhere near the Sierra Nevadas, and they were going to go from Wyoming, and they were going to cut across this path. It ended up being a complete disaster. They got caught in the first blanketed snow of the winter before they ever even got to the Sierra Nevadas, and they got trapped by a lake. They waited and waited and waited, hoping that there would be a thaw, a thaw that never came. So they started destroying their wagons for fire and for shelter. They started eating all of their oxen because they had to eat something. And now they were stuck. They became delirious. Ultimately, it is believed that there was even cannibalism that took place because they were so starving and they were so hungry, and they were so desperate. A group was sent out in a desperate attempt to get help and traveled over 10 days to the nearest fort and outpost. 20 days later, after the convoy was sent out, a rescue team actually showed up. And these people were found completely emaciated, completely uh, distraught, and completely delirious. Rescuers fed the starving group as well as they could and began evacuating them. Finally, three more rescue parties arrived. Several days later, 45 people actually made it. That is, half the group died. And one of the most famous West expansion stories and tragedies of that era. Now, folks, you've got to see yourself in the Donner Party. That is who you and I were. Trying to carve through life on our own. 
without the proper guide, without the proper resources, and you end up breaking down along the way, and you end up starving yourself out in desperate need. But aren't you glad that when you reached out in desperation for help, there was a rescue team that was sent Team Jesus and Team Jesus came on the scene and rescued those and delivered them to their desired destination. And that's what happened to every single person that has ever come to faith in Jesus Christ. You came to Christ desperate and broken and about to die. And Jesus rescued you and carved out the only path to get you to the promised land by his grace. So I want to encourage you to find yourself at the feet of Jesus like this woman, content with even just the breadcrumbs. Let's pray together. If you're for